0: church this morning we are going to continue on in our Acts series we're going to be uh, picking up what Pastor David put down last week and so we will be in Acts chapter 22 uh, verse 30 so if you've not turned there already I'd encourage you to turn in your copy of God's word to that section Uh, as you're turning there though I want to refresh your memories I want to give you an episode recap so to speak of where we left the apostle Paul last time uh, if you'll remember that he was arrested by the Romans when he was in the Jerusalem temple. And so as he's being arrested, he's being taken back to the Roman barracks. And on his way back to the Roman barracks, he has a sermon in him. And so on the steps of the barracks, he he asks the question, can I address the crowd? And then he has permission to address the crowd. So what does the apostle Paul do but turn around and share his testimony? He shares about the covenant of grace that strings all the way from the beginning of time to the end of time where we will be God's people and he will be our God forever he turns around and he shares this sermon with this crowd that is following him that is trying to kill him and then he hears what probably every preacher is terrified of before they get up to preach Uh, he hears the crowd say this this man should not be allowed to live and so that was his sermon review Uh, and so in that moment He's taken back into the barracks. Uh, and so the, the Roman tribune, the, the officer, the Roman officer that arrested him, uh, this guy's over hundreds and hundreds of soldiers in the area. He takes them and he, he wants to know, why are these Jews fighting each other? So like any good Roman officer, he says, I'm going to beat you with a whip until you tell me with the reason for all of this. Thankfully, Paul's a Roman citizen and he doesn't have to endure that interrogation uh, because Roman Roman soldiers can't do that to Roman citizens. So what he does is he sticks him in a cell. That's the recap. That's where we left the Apostle Paul with this arrest, with these death threats, with this angry mob. And so as he's sitting there in this Roman cell, he is around him, surrounded by soldiers that don't like him or his religion. And then encamped outside of the prison cell, you have this angry mob that doesn't think he should be allowed to live. Now, church, I'm gonna read God's word for us. And as I read this, I want you to know that this word has been recorded and given for you today as this church. It is for your learning. It is for your encouragement. It is for your righteousness that you would be equipped to love God and to love other people better because of this word today. So hear now, the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 22, verse 30, all the way to 2311. But on the next day, Desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people." Now when Paul perceived that part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said, or when he had said this, a dissension arose among the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man, and if, or what if, a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome." Church, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you not only for your word. We thank you not only for the good news that you have taken away all of our badness and given us all of your goodness, but Lord, we thank you for being always present with us. To believe and to rest and to receive you alone for our salvation means that you have made your life with us and our lives are wrapped up in you. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see your word this morning. Transform our hearts so that our souls would delight in you. Grant us maturity and growth in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Use these 12 verses to do just that, I ask in your name. Amen what if you were walking down the street and somebody rolls up on you in a car and jumps out of the car and then they hand you a suitcase and the suitcase is full of money? What is the first thing that you're going to do if you're handed a suitcase full of money? Well, what I would do is first thing I would, I would look at it and analyze it and make sure it wasn't ticking. And then I'd see, man, this thing is full of money. And then I would start asking questions. I would ask the question, what is this? Who are you? What are you doing? What is your purpose in handing me this bag full of money now this unforeseen unprovoked act of kindness you would still ask questions but you'd be very happy for it uh, and you know to tell you the truth I don't know for certain what I would say if that happened to me so if anybody wants to find out and throw a bag of money at me after church do it and I'll respond loud enough for you all to hear it so but what about when circumstances arise that are out of our control that are unprovoked, that are unforeseen, that are not joyful. Those things that are not seemingly beneficial to us. What about those moments when tragedy strikes a relative or loved one, and the news comes to us, and we hear these things? What about when the troubles of our car happens. Our house fixes continue to mount up. There's trouble with our business. And even though we've budgeted as well as we possibly can, our savings is now dried up and we have no money left, even though we were doing what we ought to be doing. What happens when we have been living rightly and we've been trying to be healthy, going to bed on time, exercising, doing all these things to be secure and good but then all of a sudden anger comes back or that deep cloud that dark cloud of depression follows us once again even though we're doing everything right what about when you get the confirmation that it is cancer again what about when you get the confirmation that it was a miscarriage that you're currently going through what happens to your soul when those things take place when these questions, they pop up into our hearts when these tragedies happen around us, do they not? We, they, they come on our lips and we ask the question, what caused this to happen? Why did it go this way? God, what is the point of my suffering and what is the reason for my trial? We ask these questions because it makes it almost a little bit better when we're in chaos and we have a reason for our suffering. We have a reason for the chaos that's taking place because it feels like when we suffer in vain for no apparent reason, it hurts just that much more. As you heard from our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul experiences this true and this intense chaos that's taking place. He experiences it like none of us have ever experienced it, I would hope to imagine. Yet amid this trial, Jesus is present with Paul. The resurrected Christ gives Paul comfort. He gives him meaning. He gives him purpose at the lowest part of his ministry. Paul clings to the reality of the resurrected Christ. And that is my hope for us, church. As we go through the chaos of life, I pray that we would all be clinging to Christ in the chaos. And in fact, that is our big idea this morning, clinging to Christ in the chaos. That's what I want us to see. That's what I want us to get from watching Paul as he goes through these intense trials the way that we're gonna break down this passage is I'm gonna show you two realities. The first reality is I'm gonna show you the absolute chaos that Paul is feeling. This thing is multi-layered and intense. Then the second thing I wanna show you is the Christ that he clings to, the resurrection hope that Paul has in the midst of this chaos, the clinging to Christ in the chaos. And so we're gonna jump right to our first point here. Uh, we get a front row seat to this situational chaos that surrounds Paul. If you would look with me back in your Bibles at verse 22, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 30. It says this, But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, there are a lot of pronouns in that, the he's and the him's and the who's and the, you know, it's hard to make all the character connections. But what's happening essentially is the Roman officer who oversees this entire section of Jerusalem, what he sees is the Jews fighting with each other. He sees the mobs, he sees the riots taking place. And this Roman officer begins to ask those questions that we would ask when those unprovoked and unforeseen chaotic moments arise. Why is this happening? What is the reason this is happening? In the hopes of getting to the bottom of this, the the officer, he calls together the Jewish Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, if you didn't know, is this leading religious and legislative body. It is the highest court, so to speak, of the Jews of that day. They could cast judgments they could mostly govern themselves they could have trials they can hear court cases and they do all of this under Roman rule and so you may be thinking oh great like Paul's Jewish these guys are Jewish this should be fantastic in fact this is the absolute worst case scenario from Paul right here because the the Sanhedrin is comprised of men that hate the apostle Paul It's comprised of men that hate Jesus. It's comprised of men that hate each other. Imagine walking into this room where there is dissension and strife between everybody. There is, that's not looking great. And so what happens, truly in this situation, it could not get any worse. So that's the court that Paul's standing before. Chapter 23, verse 1. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And then, that's fine. But then verse 2 happens. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. In case you didn't pick up from the context clues, Ananias was an evil man. He was a wicked ruler of the day. A Jewish historian named Josephus said this about Ananias. He says that he was wealthy, he was insolent, He was cruel and he was greedy. That is this man's reputation that Paul is standing in front of. And so what you see is this high priest who's supposed to be the religious ruler of the day. He knows the law. He knows that you're not supposed to strike someone when they're being interrogated. So what he does is he brings someone else into his treachery and he motions to these people and Paul is struck on the mouth while he's being interrogated. Do you feel the chaos of what's taking place, the the scene of mounting chaos and intensity that's happening here. The Roman officer who's technically over Paul, who's holding him in custody, he delivers him to a court that hates him in front of a man that is evil and wicked in front of him. Paul right now has got to be thinking, this is it for me. The Romans don't care about my religion or what I'm saying. This Sanhedrin court, they're not going to judge me with equity and righteousness and goodness. What they're going to do is they're going to judge me from their political and from their personal passions. Not only are these two rulers, Ananias and the Roman Tribune, they're causing fear and they're causing chaos in Paul's life. He's very aware also that these aren't the only two people in the room. Remember, this is all stacking onto the chaos. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are in the room as well. Paul has no friends in this place. Verse 8 says in this passage, Luke, the writer of Acts, says this. He describes the two parties. He says, Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Great, you have another faction. You have another enemy. You have another disagreement that Paul has now been forced into against his own will and against his own desire. Now, Paul says uh, in verse 3, that Paul actually used to—I'm sorry—in in chapter eight, verse three of Acts, Paul actually used to be a Pharisee. He was the man. He was the the one that everybody looked up to. All the little Pharisees, all the little seminary and Pharisees, they had cardboard cutouts of Paul. They had him in their office. They're so like, "Man, Paul's the man. I love Paul. I want to be just like Paul." And then in chapter eight, verse three, it says, "Saul, who is Saul." turns into Paul at the resurrection of Christ. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. These men loved Paul for what he did he was the superstar of the day and now Paul is public enemy number one for the Pharisees he is a heretic he has traded on them he has turned on his family his religion his his friends everything Paul has turned from them He is a deserter And finally, you have the gasoline over here. You have the TNT over here, the dynamite's right there. You have the nitroglycerin surrounding the room, and then the spark happens. Paul gives his testimony as to why he is on trial. He is on trial for the hope of the resurrection from the dead. And this is the response in verse 10. Look with me. It says, And when the dissension became violent the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring them into the barracks. The apostle Paul was going to be torn limb from limb. He was going to be shredded into little pieces. He was going to be brutally murdered on the floor of a courtroom that he did not want to be in. He was there by no fault of his own. He did not have a desire to be in that room with those people. And finally, the Roman tribune sees that the anger and the violence that's taking place, he has to go in and forcibly take, rip Paul out of the Sanhedrin's hands and then put him back into prison. Brothers and sisters, it is so easy for us to read this passage and to think, oh yeah, it's the Apostle Paul. Like this is his gig, like this is what he does. It's it's super easy for him. To make this more real, what I want you to do is I want you to take Paul out of this scenario and I want you to put your spouse in this scenario. I want you to put one of your kids. I want you to put one of your parents or your roommates or your best friend in this same exact scenario. I want you to airdrop them into this place. Think about how you would be feeling if you watched a loved one going through being imprisoned for no reason and then being put before a court that has the opportunity and the authority to kill you and it's not looking good for your loved one you would be absolutely overwhelmed you would be hysterical to the point of being undone as you were watching this happen because you know how it's going to unfold Paul was a real man Paul was not divine he was not a super apostle In fact, in this moment, Paul was actually an old man. He was an older man. I know it's a relative term. Paul was an older man. His eyes were bad. His body was stricken with arthritis and pain because of the beatings and the work that he's been doing for decades for the Lord. This moment is absolutely pitiful. If you think about this old man in this courtroom right here, the chaos is real and it is intense. And you can't help but ask the question, the question arose in my heart as I was reading this passage, why would you not stop the suffering God? Paul is in full-time ministry. All he wants to do is plant churches and share this good news with other people. Why would you let your servant go through this intense chaos? What is happening? Why would you do this? Do you not love Paul? He's doing what you're calling him to, yet he's in this intense moment our first point I wanted to show you I want you to see and feel and taste the chaos of this passage now I want to show you the hope of Paul and his clinging to Jesus during this uncertain and real chaos in these 12 verses Paul is put on display in clinging to Christ in the chaos and I pray the Holy Spirit makes known to you that no matter what is happening in your life in this moment, clinging to Christ in the chaos is the only hope that is worth clinging to. It is the only hope that can give comfort and give true salvation to you. Clinging to Christ in the chaos. So, if you would look back with me at our passage, particularly the last verse, uh, verse 6, it says. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. With this one statement, Paul expresses the reason for his suffering. He shows the very purpose for why he is in this trial and this imprisonment. The Lord Jesus is not sitting back and saying, darn, he should have gone left when I told him to go right and he would have avoided this whole thing together. What happened was the Lord orchestrated this to take place. The Lord orchestrated this suffering for a particular reason. Jesus was with him, but Jesus put him in this place as well. And it's so that Paul can testify of this resurrection. He can be a witness to this resurrected Christ, to this mob of people that are trying to kill him, to this Roman tribune that is over hundreds of men, to all of his soldiers. He is testifying of Christ. He's testifying of Christ's resurrection to the Sanhedrin as well. And if you'll remember from your Gospels that the Sanhedrin is the same court that actually condemned Jesus to death. They were the ones screaming and crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Paul is now a witness. He's an apostolic witness standing before them saying, the Jesus you killed, Is the Jesus that I am testifying about, and it's the Jesus that is alive and well right now. He is testifying to the men that killed Jesus. To have hope in and to bank our very soul on the resurrection of Christ means that we have been able to, to trust in the Lord that he would acquit us from all of our sin and all of our miseries that he would say you are right I love you I have forgiven you every bad thing you have ever thought or done think about that every bad thing you've ever thought or done Jesus says I acquit you I forgive you of that and not only that, the Lord knows who you are. He knows your mess. He knows your sin. But the, one of the benefits of the resurrection is not only that you've been acquitted, but it's also that you were acknowledged by God. You have a father that says, I love you. You have a father that says, I'm going to not only love you behind closed doors, I'm gonna lift you up to the cosmos and say, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. The Father acknowledges us in the resurrection of Christ. And these benefits of the hope that Jesus has defeated the kingdom of darkness and come in with his marvelous light, the benefits of the hope of the resurrection, that we are loved by God from before the beginning of time began. He knew us and he loved us eternally. It's this benefit and this hope of the resurrection. That we will have perfect bodies, that we will have a conscious mind, that we will be fully human, and that we will dwell with God forever, not only with him, but also with his beloved church as perfect people. Like Paul, if you in this room have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, You are actually not guaranteed a get-out-of-jail-free card from all the troubles in this world. You're not guaranteed to say, well, I love Jesus now, so everything's good for me. That's not what happens. Jesus put Paul into this troublesome situation for the sake of his testimony that others would come to know him but it is a sure and promised reality that even though these troubles and these trials and this chaos in your life and in Paul's life, these things are real and we are not immediately delivered from them in the moment, what they do is they change the reality of who you will be. It changes everything for you. The new reality of this resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us this new ability to live every single day for the love of Jesus Christ because we have been given eternal life in Jesus Christ. To trust and to obey and to repent and receive this forgiveness means that all of these benefits are now ours in Jesus. But I want to close with this. Verse 11. Look with me at verse 11. This is my favorite part of the entire passage, if I'm allowed to have one. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also about me in Rome. Paul, over these last few years, has been bold in delivering the gospel. He's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's been treated terribly, and all of this is starting to weigh on him, because every time Paul has a problem, as we've read through Acts, Jesus doesn't just appear and be like, that's okay, Paul, Like we're good, let's keep going. This is a unique thing that takes place here. This is not normal in the life of Paul where Jesus comes and stands next to him and says these words to him in the Roman barracks that night after his trial. The text says the Lord stood next to him, which means the resurrected Christ with feet was standing next to Paul, his servant in this moment. And what he does is he not only encourages Paul in the moment, he encourages Paul to continue on in the mission, to share the testimony, the testimony that we all have, the testimony or the mission that we have all been put on, that we would testify about Jesus. If you think about this, I'm a Christian. Dan Hamlin shared the gospel with me. Dave Pankratz shared the gospel with Dan Hamlin and Mary Ellen Pankratz, Dave's mom, shared the gospel with him. And that goes all the way back to the very mouth of Jesus. That testimony follows all the way back. We can trace that and I pray, Lord willing, in heaven we'll be able to do that. But it's in this moment, if Paul had given up, if Paul had hung his boots up and said, I am done, that means the gospel would not have spread the same way that it has. That means that some of us in this room may not have become Christians and heard this good news of the gospel, but the Lord knew that He needed to encourage Paul so that Trevor Allen could come to believe in this gospel on the beaches of Pismo Beach in California in 2001. He needed that to happen. And so He strengthens Paul he encourages him and friends let this strengthen and encourage you that though you are going through suffering though you are in chaos run back to Jesus run back to this resurrection this testimony because nothing is better than this this is life itself that we have been given that we are able to walk into to cling to to have hope in for all of our days I don't typically do this but I want to challenge you church this morning I want to challenge you to encourage each other in a very particular way if you think about it Jesus has not come and stood before us face to face flesh to flesh in our troubles in our chaos that doesn't mean that he doesn't love you what that means is he's given the church his holy spirit The spirit of the living Christ indwells me, which means that I now have the love of Christ and the mind of Christ, and I'm able to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ the the truths of the scriptures. And so that is us as a body this morning, that we're able to encourage and manifest the love of Christ to one another. So don't just take this good news and hoard it for yourself, but bring it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Share it with your family. Share it with your neighbors. Read it to your children. Let them know that this, Jesus loves them and that encourage them in their chaos and encourage them in their mission. So what I want us to do is this. I want you to pray for two people today. After church, I want you to pray for two people particular in your mind, and I want you to pray this for them. I want you to pray that the Lord would bless them. I want you to pray that the Lord would continue to keep them. I want you to pray for them to have a renewed sense of the hope of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. Now, after you've prayed these things, I want you to text them or call them. Shoot him a text, I prayed for you this morning. I love you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he continue on in the hope of the resurrection that you have been given, that you would be encouraged for today to continue on in the mission that the Lord has put you on in this life, no matter the circumstance. Let them know that you are praying that they would be clinging to Christ in the chaos. Let's pray together. Lord, this room abounds with chaos. So many people have I sat with and talked to. So many people in this room have we all sat with and talked to that there, I know there is chaos amongst us. I know there is strife and there is tribulation, some of which we've caused with our own hands and some of which come upon us for no concern or desire of our own. But rather, Lord, we feel the chaos. We feel the intensity. And so let us remember Jesus. Let us remember the hope of the resurrection. Let us remember the the benefits of the resurrection. Let us know that even though it seems dark at times, there is light of the eternal son of God that loves us and that gives himself for us. And where he is, there we shall be also. I pray that this is our reality this week and forevermore, Jesus. Pray these things in your name, amen.